Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Episode 150 of Blue Jays Nation Radio with your Remchuk and Coomsey. And Coomsey, it's almost like the Blue Jays knew that this was going to be a milestone episode for our podcast. 150 is a nice, even number. Yeah, it is. And I mean, June's been really good to the Blue Jays, man. Meltdown May is over and we're into a whole new month with good vibes only. Will the Blue Jays ever lose again? That's the question. Like one week ago, we were asking, are these guys ever going to win again? And now they look unbeatable. Three consecutive series wins for the Toronto Blue Jays. They are seven and three in their last 10, thanks to a sweep out in New York over the New York Mets. Three, nothing, two, one and six, four. They kind of got all three of those wins in very different ways. So let's get into three up, three down for today's episode, obviously starting with the ups and uh, before game one. John Schneider comes out to do his pregame avail and says, hey, uh, by the way, everybody, Chris Bassett is uh, not going to be available postgame. His wife's in labor, so he's going to be hopping on a jet right after his start. And Chris Bassett pitched like a guy who knew he had to get the hell out of town relatively quickly. He was cruising through that Mets lineup, pitches into the eighth inning, no earned runs, strikes out eight and doesn't walk a single batter. That is a hell of a start from the Bassett Hound. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. When I saw the news that he was going to have to bounce immediately after the game and go be with his wife, who's in labor, I kind of thought, okay, this is, this is going to be a shitty start for the guy. Like who, who can handle the pressure of not only are you dealing with all that in the, in the front of your mind, but you're also going into New York and going up against your former team as well. Pitching against Justin Verlander, a guy who's, you know, one of the best active pitchers, an obvious future hall of famer. Also the guy that the New York Mets were comfortable for throwing a lot of money at over the winter money that they didn't want to spend on you. So like you have all that going on in your head and you just come out and absolutely deal and throw a dominant start. It was, yeah, I'm not going to lie. When I, when I saw all that, I thought, ah, this probably won't be the best start for Bassett. He might leave after five, but then he goes seven and two thirds inning and is one of the most dominant starts he's put together. I know he had the complete game shutout earlier in the year, but it almost feels like this whole thing, given the context and the situation is even a more impressive start. Uh, he faced 27 batters and only had to throw 101 pitches. So he was moving pretty quickly through that Mets lineup. And while we're on the topic of game one, Chris Bassett is the big up and they were insurance runs, not game winning runs. But Dalton Varsho starting to find his groove a little bit as well. He hits a two run bomb in the series opener against the Mets. The power starting to maybe come through a bit here for Dalton Varsho. 
he's like, it's not happening all at once in some big heater, but we're starting to see little sprinkles of like, okay, this is what the Blue Jays front office saw on the guy. Yeah, it's it's kind of a slow build here. We haven't had that streak with Dalton Barshow. And I mean, a lot of guys this year have had some huge hot streaks like, you know, Vladdy and Matt Chapman to kick off the year. There was Whit Merrifield that had his crazy hitting streak. So like we've witnessed some pretty intense hot streaks so far this year, but Barshow is not really one of the guys who's had that. It seems like he's kind of slowly coming around and finding his groove. The positive thing with him, of course, is that the defense was always there. The speed, the base running, being a catalyst like that was always there, which is ultimately what they wanted. But now we're starting to see this guy's also got a big bat too, a big bat that, you know, he can just make contact with the ball and drill it for a home run. He's got that kind of power. And, you know, the Jays really, we've said this many, many, many times, but the Jays don't have the same depth in their lineup this year as they have in the past. So getting a guy like that going, getting him heated up, just, it doesn't even have to be like lighting the world on fire, but just being a solid middle of the order bat that can hit for power and drive in some runs is such a game changer for the Jays. Yeah. Barsho two run bomb Springer started the game with a home run as well. And then Chris Bassett pitches into the eighth heads on home and is there in time to see his wife give birth to Colson Bassett is the name they won with. So Chris Bassett, a pop-up for the second time. Uh, that's your first up for the series against the Mets. In game two, it was Jose Barrios, the, the guy who we've come to expect have good starts for the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, the run this dude's been on cam since basically his third start of the season is really impressive. And his ERA is creeping closer and closer to getting below three and a half on the year, which is very good. And hey, if again, you just look at kind of his more recent work here, a 2.95 ERA in his last seven starts. That is something. We're starting to get, we're, we're back at the point now, I think, where when Jose Barrios is starting, you expect, okay, he's going to go six or seven innings, scatter two or three runs, maybe a better start with, you know, only one earned run. He might, you know, dominate here and there, have a great start, but I mean, he looks again like the pitcher they acquired back in 2021. It really looks like last year was the anomaly. And that's really not how we felt like at the start of the season. Think back to, you know, they they kick off the season and then he has that terrible start in Kansas City against a light hitting Royals team and then goes into L.A. and his second start, another bad one. But since those two terrible starts, he's pitched 10 times and his ERA is 248 in those 10 starts. All told in the season, it's 3.66, which is it's solid. Like that's, that's pretty much the pitcher he was in Minnesota when they traded for him. Like if you look back at this exact time last year, um, uh, early June, he pitched a great start against his former team, the Minnesota twins. It was, I think it was six or seven innings of like one earned run. And that brought his ERA down to 5.24. So that's where Barrios was at this time last year. It was bad. Whereas now, you know, got those two ugly starts out of the way and it's been smooth sailing. It's, it's huge for the Jays too, because you know, Alec Manoa has not had the season that anybody expected him to have. Yusei Kikuchi has been ho-hum number five starter standard, but with, with Manoa struggling, like how he has, they so badly needed, um, they so badly needed Jose Barrios to become that workhorse again. And he's done it. So I, I, I don't see any reason to believe that last year was anything other than an anomaly in his last three starts. He has pitched about 18, 18 and two thirds. He has not allowed more than five hits in any of those starts. He has not allowed more than one earned run in any of those starts. And he struck out a total of 16 batters in those three starts. He's just absolutely cruising, man. It's, it's awesome. And you're right. Like I, 
I thought there was a good chance we see him bounce back a bit. But now that we're getting to the point where it's been seven, eight, nine consecutive starts of like, no, consistent, solid. I didn't think we were going to get back to this level is kind of what I'm trying to say, but it's fantastic to see it. Uh, Regardless, he was dialed in in game two of this series. And uh, he was not the pitcher that got the win, though, Cam. That belongs to Nate Pearson, who threw another inning out of the bullpen, struck out another two batters, didn't allow a base runner once again. We're, we're going to talk about this every podcast. I will not yeah. shut up about Nate Pearson all year. No, and I'm not even I don't even blame because in the in the third game, of course, he allows um, he allows two runs to come yeah. into score. But given the amount he's pitched recently, I don't think anybody has any qualms with, you know, eventually he's going to allow a run. It is what it is. But um, I think y- you said on the last podcast, you were like, let's give John Schneider some credit because whenever things go wrong, we're very happy to point out that he fucked up. Mm-hmm. So now when things go well, like in the second game, you get Barrios quality starts, six innings, one earned run, and then you have to clear through three more without having Jordan Romano available and Schneider did what I think was pretty much perfect bullpen management in this game. You got a clean inning out of Trevor Richards strikes out two guys, uh, Nate Pearson um, scoreless frame in the eighth inning strikes out two guys. Then Eric Swanson comes in to pick up his first save as a blue Jay. I thought it was really good bullpen management. I think it's nice to go with the hot hands here because I mean, if you would just, I think the, the, you know, if you, you, if you went based on maybe like veteran experience or something like that, maybe Jimmy Garcia pitches the eighth inning, or maybe he comes in for the save and something goes wrong. But I think it's, it's good to see the managers willing to instead go with younger guys who aren't necessarily always in those roles like Pearson and Richards. I don't think we came into the season thinking, okay, Trevor Richards and Nate Pearson are seventh and eighth inning guys in the game where Jordan Romano's down. And here we are, like you, you trust your relievers who are pitching well. And I think that's, that's positive. That's, a good thing yeah like okay he gave up the two bombs in that last game but when if it was his second appearance of the year and he gave up two bombs i would have been like whoa let's pump the brakes that was his 14th appearance of the year and it was the first time he's given up more than one earned run in an appearance first time he's given up more than a run period as well so that means he's coming in with runners on and getting the jays out of things like i i just yeah one bad appearance not even bad got hit hard a couple of times i'm not exactly worried about that from nate pearson uh still excited about that that's uh the second up is jose barrios with a little hat tip to nate pearson as well you touched on the third game a little bit it was solid brandon belt came through with a big hit he's been awesome since the month of april but the up i'm going with here is vladdy had a clutch double to help them win the game in game two and then came through with his first home run off a non-position player. So an actual pitcher, someone whose main job is to throw balls and strikes. Vladdy hits his first bomb off one of them since the May series back in Boston. He's starting to come around now. Yeah, it was a full month that Vladdy went um, without hitting a bomb off of a real pitcher. Like he had that grand slam down in Tampa when they won that game, what, 20 to two or something. And it was a position player pitching the the guy who struck him out first and he drills the grand slam next time up. I mean, the thing with Vladdy is he'd been hitting the ball hard and it sucks to have this conversation because it feels like we're circling all the way back to 2019, 2020, you know, he's drilling the ball, but we just, if he can get his launch angle, if he, if he can get that right, if he can aim the ball up a little bit higher, then he'll hit more home runs. He won't hit the ball right at the field or blah, blah, blah. And that's always the frustrating thing as you can see that he's, you know, he's, he's getting on the ball and he's drilling it, but it's just not working out for him. It was, it was a nice, nice thing to see for him in that second game where he hits the 
the RBI double in the top of the ninth inning, it feels like that was like a breakthrough point. You could almost feel like you could see when the camera panned to him on the broadcast, like the, 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 the clear sense of relief that he had there after, you know, it had been a few weeks where pretty much every time Vladdy came up to the plate with runners on or in a key position later in the game, it's, you almost just sort of shrug your shoulders and think, ah, this guy never comes through and has like a clutch hit. And then, you know, pretty much two and back-to-back games against the Mets there. There's the double and then there's the bomb. Like the, the bomb that he hit in the third game too was, you know, a pitch that was up in high, like one of those ones that that's the typical pitch that he would roll over and smack right at the shortstop. That's the standard Vladdy ground into a double play pitch, but he got up, got under it and just launched it into the outfield. And that was, that was a 2021 Vladdy home run. Those were the home runs that he was hitting when he had his almost MVP season. He was hitting those difficult pitches and launching them back in April, even when he was killing it, it was, you know, he's laying off on everything, waiting for his pitches. If it's a little bit up in the zone, then he can launch it out into space. And, you know, the reality with Vladi is, is that he had that nagging knee injury going on. It's been going on for a few weeks and we talked about maybe it would be ideal to give him a few days off so that he can heal himself. But now it does look like he's coming around, which I mean, the Blue Jays badly need that because a cold Vladi in the middle of the lineup makes the Jays a what, like an average offense, but an on fire Vladi takes them from average mediocre to very good. It's, it's a night and day difference. And don't, uh, don't, dismiss the role Brandon Belt plays in this team's offense. It is wild. Let me give you some stats here, Kimsey. Month of April for Brandon Belt. 55 at-bats, only four extra base hits, three doubles, and a home run. Only five RBIs. His batting average was 164. In May, Brandon Belt Granted, got to play a little more. 66 ABs, seven extra base hits. Wait, no, sorry. Yeah, seven extra base hits, seven RBIs, and the dude at a 333 batting average. Uh, we were joking in in April that it's just a lock that this guy's getting DFA'd at some point. Like, experiment didn't work. I think where we were maybe wrong a little bit in that is probably not understanding the injury he was coming off of and how little baseball he's played in the last 18 months of his life. We probably should have been a little bit more patient with a guy like Brandon Belt. Yeah, we definitely, all of us, like damn near every Jays fan was like, this guy looks bad. He looks injured. I remember there was one point where I said on the podcast, I thought, did his agent sell the Jays like a bag of raw goods? Like what did his agent say? Like, did he say he was a lot healthier than he actually was? But, you know, we, 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 we sit here and watch from TV and we, we carry on as though it's so much easier to play this sport than it actually is. And I mean, going through the injury that he had and the surgery and the off season and the prep, and he's not a young guy, he's not 26, you know, he's a guy in his thirties. And I mean, as someone who just turned 30 himself, like I'm, uh, I'm very cognizant of the, you know, the challenges of what, what that does to you physically. So, I mean, imagine doing Latin being a major league baseball player and it's not as easy to hit the ground running. You're moving from the national league to the American league. It's a completely different animal. You're seeing a whole bunch of different pitches you've probably never seen before. And, you know, Brandon Belt's a pro hitter. And there's a reason that there was quite a bit of optimism when they signed him. Um, you know, there was talk that like, you look back at his 2020 season during the COVID year, he was hitting for crazy power. He was so good. You know, I don't think it's necessary reasonable to think he was going to go back to those like damn near MVP caliber numbers, but all the Jays really needed here was like a left-handed batter who could 
take pitches, you know, work a walk, be in the middle of the lineup, not be so swing happy because we all know like the Jays have been like this for years, this, this, you know, this version of the Jays, even the Jays before them too, the 2015 and 16 teams, it was always a very swing happy right-handed lineup. So to have like a veteran left-handed bat in the middle there who's not afraid to see some pitches and I mean look on that Sunday game like it, it, it can come back to bite you unfortunately like you, you the the terrible home plate umpire calls where he gets rung up like four times two of them are very clearly on pitches outside of the zone you see how pissed off he is like I, you can see the guy has a very good grasp of the strike zone and then he comes through and hits the bomb like this is badly what the Jays needed a good veteran bat in the middle of the lineup and Brandon Belt's come around he's got damn near like a 500 on base percentage in the past month like it's a good thing that uh jay's fans aren't running the team because we all would have dfa'd him two weeks into april and it's it's a nice lesson for us never to lean too far far into small sample sizes yep 100 uh there you go there's your three ups for the series win against the mets bassett another strong start barrios another strong start some bats are starting to heat up but let's get to the down from this series and i Yes, we'll slot Yusei Kikuchi into one of these just because he was, I guess, the worst of the three starting pitchers. But I just want to have a bit of a conversation about him because I think he's had an interesting year. In his last seven starts, a 5.5 ERA, he's slowly starting to slip back to maybe the Yusei Kikuchi of last year after starting the year overall pretty well. Um, But also when you have Barrios bouncing back and you have Bassett and Gosman pitching as well as they are, the Manoa stuff, I really don't want to have that conversation for on another podcast. Um, but Kikuchi is pitching like a good number five or an okay, like passable number five, is he not? He gets yeah. lit up every once in a while. And for the most part, you'll, hey, he'll get you five innings. He'll give up a couple of runs and, you know, you'll need your bullpen on that day. Yeah, last year it was, you know, you, you say Kikuchi would start and you'd be concerned if he could make it through the order once. Yeah. You'd be like, you know, is you say Kikuchi going to come in and walk four guys and allow a home run in the first inning and the game's over immediately. And I don't really feel it's been the same this year. There's been some, you know, there's been some bad starts. Like I'm looking here at his last five against Atlanta, four innings against Baltimore, four and two thirds against Tampa, five, Milwaukee, five, the Mets, five, the peripherals in the start against the Mets are better than it has been recently. Five innings, four hits, two earned runs, only one walk with eight strikeouts. But then the trouble is he allows the two bombs. And I think that's kind of been the issue this year is he's really limited the walks, which is positive. But, you know, two home runs against the Mets, a home run against Milwaukee, very light hitting lineup there. Two against Tampa, one against Baltimore, three against Atlanta. You know, I don't know. I don't think the expectation should be terribly high. I know we came into the year with that. You say Kikuchi revenge tour. He's been so good in spring training. He's going to win the Cy Young, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, even look at the the numbers that he put up in the three years with Seattle. It was over those three years, he had a 4.97 ERA, like to, to this point this year, it's 4.40. So if it's anything in the like mid fours, it's pretty reasonable. It's just last year. He was unable to get through a lineup more than like once he was walking. Everybody it would be at 60 pitches in the second inning. It's, I don't think anyone should think this guy's a top of the, you know, top of the rotation arm. If he can just be that number five, who can at least clear you through five innings and give you a chance to win the game, then you're fine. The second down would be they really had to burn their bullpen in the third day on the travel day of this series, which a bird in hand is worth two in the bush, as the old saying goes, right? You're not going to sit there and be like, you've heard that one before. That's like, no, 
What does that mean? A bird in hand is better than one in the bush? Yeah, I, th- I think it's like a hunting thing where like, you know, you got one right in front of you. You can, you can shoot the one bird, but there's always like the, ah, oh, but there could be like two in the bush you're scaring off. But no, no, you take the one bird, like you take the one you can get. So, yeah, okay. So you're like, what, what you're saying is, is it's good they burn the bullpen on Sunday to guarantee that win against the Mets. And even if they have to punt their next game against Houston, then... Yeah, like, the way she goes. you could still win that game against Houston. You could have had a rested bullpen, blown the game against the Mets, and still lost the game to Houston, right? Like, going out, yes, you had to burn Pearson, Swanson, and Romano. But you got the series sweep against the Mets. That win is still worth just as much as a win on Monday against the Houston Astros. Basically, what I'm saying is, yeah, is it a down that... They're going to have a fatigued bullpen heading into the start of a big four game series against the Houston Astros who they're chasing. Sure. But again, you got the sweep against the Mets. So can you really complain? But it is worth noting. And like it, it heading into this start, it's a Manoa start in the opener against Houston. And you might not have your three best bullpen arms for it. Yeah, we might need to see bullpen ace Trevor Richards toss uh, three or four innings here on on Monday. It seems that that's going to be the thing. Maybe we'll see a roster transaction before the game where they can get somebody up from Buffalo who has a little bit more length. Uh, I really want to avoid diving into the Alec Manoa conversation, but it always seems to bring itself up like it's omnipresent. It's impossible to avoid this. So here we are. Yeah, here we are. Uh, There you go. There's your three up, three down. We don't even have a third down for that series against the Mets. And we were reaching to grab two downs in that one because Kikuchi wasn't even bad. It wasn't even bad. And who gives a shit if they gassed the bullpen? They swept the Mets. So. We could also say the um, another down is, uh, have you heard about that flu that's been apparently following the team all year? Well, yeah, okay. this has been a lingering storyline now for like six weeks. Usually in professional sports, we'll hear like, oh, there's a flu bug working mm-hmm. its way through the team. And like a week later, you're like, OK, everyone's got it and we're good. But it, guys like can't shake it. Yeah, that's uh, Mitch Bannon from Sports Illustrated did a talk about it. And we had been hearing about this earlier, like it was affecting them uh, during that really rough time when they were losing to the Yankees in Baltimore and they were at home. Uh, And apparently uh, uh, they're saying it's a non-COVID illness, but the way that it's described, it definitely kind of sounds like COVID because it's affecting everyone very differently. It's like, oh, one guy's got a sore throat. One guy's coughing. One guy's really tired. One guy's got diarrhea. And it's just all over over the place, which is pretty much what it, this is now. So yeah, this is a, it's a weird thing. It's um, it feels like the Jays really haven't been at a hundred percent this year, even though they haven't really had any injuries to speak of, like, you know, the rotations rolling along, they haven't had a major pitching injury. They haven't had a major injury to a, you know, a, a, a big guy in the lineup, like a bow or a Vlad or a Chapman or, you know, George Springer has been in the lineup the entire year. Um, so there's been like, smaller things lingering but it's it's weird to see this like you know we, we, we we're hockey people so we see this all the time and you know november january everybody on the oilers catches the flu when it's minus 40 here it's kind of just the way it is yeah. but for everybody on the jays to be dealing with an illness at the same time as the weather is starting to get nice it's it's strange. It's, it's weird. And uh, I think that's just kind of the world we live in now where everyone kind of feels a little bit more sick more often. And I mean, what can you really say, but it's, it's odd that it's affecting them. I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to, to see if other fans or other media for other teams are noticing this with their teams as well. Like, have you seen any talk from any other team? Like, Oh, so-and-so is dealing. We've had this flu that's been fucking up our locker room for a month. Like, have you seen that anywhere else ever? No, and maybe it's just because 
you know, we're not like if this happened to the Royals, I don't think I would ever hear about it. <laughs> so like maybe it has happened to like other teams and it's like a thing. But I mean, I've never in the teams I follow closely seen it linger for this long. So that is interesting. It's not like you said, though. I mean, it, if it's non-COVID illness, whatever, these guys spend a lot of time traveling around to different cities. Like the chances of them getting sick versus us who like I go from my home to the office and like that's more or less the extent of my life. Um, I probably have less of a chance of getting sick than guys who go from New York to Baltimore to here, there, there, whatever. Right. And in busy cities too, right? Like yeah. Toronto's a, a, a busy ass city when you're walking around downtown. Like, I, I mean, I lived there for a few years and I'll say like, I, I, I got little weird colds and flu viruses and stuff a lot more in Toronto than now that I'm here. And just like you, I'm mostly at home and into the office or in the car. See like eight people on an average day. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's step aside for a quick break. And when we get back, we will be talking about the big three gamer four gamer coming up against the Houston Astros. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This is also usually the point in the show when we get to the AL East report, but our producer Brandon Douglas is off today. We do two shows a week, and the guy's off today. Can you believe that? Wow. Uh, anyways, some intern. All jokes. Uh, let's talk about some stuff from around the majors, though. Um, you pulled up an interesting stat. We were texting about this on the weekend because we're friends and we text a lot about <laughs> baseball related things. Uh, but you you found an interesting nugget on Twitter about guys who pitched a lot last year struggling this year. Yeah, I'm just pulling up the tweet now. It was um, from Nay Nay Takes on Twitter, who I think has a picture of X Tentacion wearing a Blue Jays hat. Very weird. As a profile picture. Yeah, very <laughs> interesting. Um, yeah, so he's pulled up the innings pitched leaders from last year, and it's, you know, a lot of big names. Sandy Alcantara wins the National League Cy Young, Aaron Nola, Corbin Burns, Framber Valdez, Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, Alec Manoa, Martin Perez had a fantastic season in Texas. And then you look at their, so those are the, the top guys for innings pitch last season all across major league baseball and pretty much every single one of these guys save for Framber Valdez who has a 2.87 ERA is struggling in some capacity like Sandy Alcantara now is at 3.89 ERA Nola 440 Martin Perez 501 even Garrett Cole's kind of at 3.65 Corbin Burns 4.59 and then of course we have Manoa who's unfortunately the worst of the bunch here at 6.27 I had, um, I think when we had our Manoa conversation or one of the thousand Manoa conversations we've already had this year, I, I had wondered maybe he, 
pitch too much too fast. You know, he came up in 2021 with not a hell of a lot of innings under his belt because he was one of those guys with the unfortunate timing with the pandemic season wiping minor league baseball. He pretty much just didn't have a year that year. And then he, and then he, you know, uh, pitches like a few starts in Buffalo and comes up. And then last year he, he's, he's pitching so much in September. We all remember that amazing September he had where the ERA was below one. He was going like seven, eight innings every single time. And then the playoffs start as well. You have to wonder like mixing all of that pitching at a young age, it's a big load to take on very fast. And then this year you're adjusting to the pitch clock. So like there's probably already fatigue carry over from last year. And now you're having to pitch in a different way that requires probably more stamina, maybe more, more quickness. I don't really know how to describe that, but kind of get what I'm saying. Which almost would lend itself to the conversation we've been having of like, why don't you just give this guy 10 days off? Why don't you just put him on the IL? Be like, we're going to skip him two starts, two trips through the rotation here. I know they don't have anyone to bring up to try to, you know, make that or fill in that gap. Drew Hutchinson's opting opted out of his minor league deal. Like you don't have, there's no pitching depth in this organization, which is probably a bit of an indictment on the front office and and a bit of a problem that we aren't discussing. Um, But especially when you look around the American League East and it feels like every other team has a ton of pitching depth except for you. But maybe he's just gassed like that is it. He's tired. He pitched way too much last year. And maybe we didn't talk enough about the fact that they let a 24 year old throw nearly 200 innings. Like we see a lot of teams throw innings limits on these guys and they don't do it for no reason. And the Jays have done it in the past too. remember um, 2016 when Aaron Sanchez came out. But that was a whole thing. It was uh, September rolled around and they were having to option him down to the minors so that uh, they could skip a start and Francisco Liriano would jump in and they were like, okay, if we go on a deep playoff run, we need to make sure that Aaron Sanchez isn't throwing a thousand innings in mid, late August, early September. So that's not something that happened last year with the Jays. And you have to wonder, maybe it's coming around to bite them a little bit. I, I, I really don't believe that Alec Manoa has just fallen off a cliff. I have a hard time imagining somebody with that level of skill, that level of competitiveness you know there's 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 reasons he did as well as he did those first two years it really wasn't a fluke that doesn't really happen you know a guy doesn't put together two seasons like that immediately just for no reason so maybe this is just going to be like jose barrios last year and it's going to be a dog shit year for manoa and they have to slam the reset button do something a little bit differently but i i i don't think we're anywhere close to writing him off big picture but i i wonder about those innings last year and whether it was just too much too fast Next one I want to hit on. We just watched them play the New York Mets, which is a good time to revisit a uh, a fun topic that we would chew on a couple of years ago. Francisco Lindor, when he was with Cleveland, there was a there were a lot of Jays fans who were like, "You go out and you get this guy and you pay him whatever." He went one for twelve in the series against the Jays. He's now batting two thirteen on the season. There were people, Coomzy, who were like, "You're an idiot if you wouldn't trade Bo Bichette for Lindor," because Lindor was what we thought Bichette's peak would be, right? It's like, why would you hold on to Bichette when you could go get the ready-made version of him that's that's already at an MVP caliber right now? Boy, is it good that they didn't make that trade. Yeah, because you add up the contract too, and he's, and I mean, money's no object for the New York Mets and Steve Cohen, and that's great for them, but... 
he's being paid $34 million this year and he's being paid $34 million through 2031. And it looks like the decline has been fairly steep. I mean, um, since joining the Mets, his, his OPS is just 751. And when he was with Cleveland, it was 833. Like we remember Francisco Lindor, I think back to the American league championship series in 2016, just how good he was at such a young age. And I mean, he's still good defensively, but it just doesn't look like the same player at the plate at all. I remember, yeah, like throwing it back to that series in, in, in 2016, it looked like no pitch could get by him. He could muscle like a small slender guy. He could just muscle anything into the outfield and you couldn't burn a fastball past him. He wouldn't, um, you know, swing at garbage. And now he just looks like some replacement level middle infielder taking, you know, Santiago Espinal quality at bats. It's, it's been stunning to see. And I mean, the Mets paid a decent price to trade for him and then sign him to the huge contract. And I remember it was, um, it was pretty much it when, when Cleveland was going to make that trade, the, the rumor was it was either the Jays or the Mets. And that's pretty much what it was for everyone at that time. I even remember when it was George Springer, there was a whole bunch of talk Jays or Mets, Jays or Mets. It's going to be one of those teams. There were the two teams that were spending all that money in the off season. And, you know, it would have been an astronomical price to trade for Lindor. It could have potentially involved trading Bo Bichette plus something else yeah. to get Lindor. And it's, it's a good thing that didn't happen. There was a lot of Jays fans who were really willing to pull the trigger. I can vividly remember people um, making the reference. It's either the mystery box or the boat. Lindor is the boat, whereas Bo is the mystery box. And I don't think that's the case anymore. You're, you definitely much prefer having Bo Bichette, even with his occasional defensive deficiencies. Is, is The bat is just so much better. Francisco Lindor also has his defensive deficiencies, which is worth pointing out. Like at this point, like this version of yeah. Francisco Lindor, it's not like he's bringing it with the glove and the bat's just lagging behind. It's been a tough run for him as a New York Met. Uh, around the American League East, Coombsy, the Rays won two, the Yankees won two. The Red Sox slipped up a little bit. The Orioles are five and five in their last 10. Maybe they're starting to slowly come back down to earth a bit. So the Jays eight and a half back of the division. They're two and a half back of the Yankees, four and a half back of the Baltimore Orioles. And the big story is that they're also two and a half back of the Houston Astros, who they begin a four gamer against this week. Uh, Very interesting group of pitchers for the Jays because you got the three guys you're most confident in. Gosman, Bassett, Barrios will go in games two, three and four. But this series starts with an Alec Manoa start for the Toronto Blue Jays. And this has to have you a little bit on edge if you're a Blue Jays fan, because that Astros lineup is good. They're playing good ball as of late. They're also seven and three of their last 10. They just came off winning three or four against the Los Angeles Angels. Tonight has me nervous. The rest of the series, considering the way the Jays are playing, I'm actually optimistic. Yeah, the Jays are playing well. And I mean, the this, the series ultimately does line up nicely. I think you, you look at the pitchers that Houston are sending out there and it's not, it's not the best of their best. You have Manoa going against Brandon Bilak, a name that, to be completely honest, I haven't heard. I don't follow the Astros tremendously closely, but and then it's Kevin Gosman versus Hunter Brown, Chris Bassett versus Ronel Blanco, and Jose Barrios versus Framber Valdez. So, I mean, no Kikuchi in this series, which is great, but unfortunately, we're at the point now where when Alec Manoa pitches, you're like, ooh, I don't feel fantastic about this. And we already talked about the Sunday game against the Mets. Use a lot of relievers, so that might be a tough way to start your series, but at the end of the day, you really got to hope that the Jays carry their good vibes into this series the way they've been playing recently because just Houston's one of those teams that they might have to jump over in order to make the playoffs. Like, look at the way the American League stacked 
up right now. It's Tampa's in first. Texas is catching Tampa. They're getting close. Um, Baltimore is up there. Then it's New York and then it's Houston. Then it's Toronto. And of course, remember one of those playoff spots has to go to whoever wins the central division. So you're going to have to jump over what the Astros or the Yankees or Baltimore, somebody like that to get in. So we've already complained that the Jays don't have as many head to head games against the American league East as they have in the past. So it's not going to be as easy to jump a Baltimore or New York or a Tampa. So you have this head to head here with a team that's right in there in the wild card mix with you. You really have to capitalize and win three of four here. Yeah, it could be a really big moment in this team season. Early June, you're playing great ball right now. The last thing you want is for this momentum to kind of come to a halt in a big series that has the kind of implications in the standings that this one does. You're at home for four, so you're back off that that quick little road trip. It's a really, really good chance to kind of say to the rest of the American League, like, hey, we're legit. Like We belong in this playoff conversation. We are a team that is the threat kind of everyone thought we were back when, well, before the season started, that is. So four against the Astros and then three against the Minnesota Twins. That's the next seven days of action for the Toronto Blue Jays. You mentioned uh, Brandon Belak getting the start tonight for Houston. He's got a 3.19 ERA on the season, but he's only made five starts. Also, you mentioned Blanco. He was a guy who they used exclusively out of the bullpen to start the year and in like late game situations. He's made one start. It came against the Angels. So they've, been, they've had to move him uh, with a couple of injuries that they have. No Luis Garcia, no Jose Uquirty, um for them. So they got a couple of guys who started the season in the bullpen that are now making starts for them with some injuries. So it's at least from a pitching perspective, you're not getting an Astros team that's at 100 percent. But they're missing. This is going to piss. This pisses me off. They're missing two of their better pitchers and they're pulling guys out of their bullpen who are really damn good arms. Yeah, that's the thing is uh, we can sit here and be like, I can say, oh, I don't know this guy on Houston. It's some guy they've called up from AAA. Well, the guy they've called up from AAA is probably pretty good. It's not like they're throwing Zach Thompson and Casey Lawrence out there in this series. It's not like they're the Blue Jays, man. So these organizations have pitching depth. I mean, ah, circle back to that conversation. Unfortunately, uh, the Jays might need to trade for a starting pitcher at some point because I'm, I'm getting worried that the guys in Buffalo might not be it. Yeah. What about, yeah. uh, we saw, I, I read the article up on our site, but, uh, the Cleveland guardians put Zach Plesak on, they DFA him. Like if you're yeah, looking they, for, is that a guy you'd be interested in picking up? That's an interesting one because he, he was good, right? Like he, he broke into the league in 2019, had a 3.81 ERA during the COVID season. He had a 2.28 ERA. I, I want to say that I, my memory is a little foggy with the COVID season, but I think that there was a controversy. It was him and Mike Clevenger were uh, out and about when the, the teams had rules about not doing that. I don't really remember, but I, I'm pretty sure he got suspended. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then the two seasons after that weren't so great. It was like that controversy happened and then it was not the best. It was ERAs in the fours, 2021 and 2022, but still like not bad. Like last year, his bad season was a 4.31 ERA with a 4.45 FIP. And he still, you know, logged 131 innings. Like I, I think at this point, uh, even if they can't fix him and make him what he was in his rookie and sophomore year, if he can just come in and, and log some innings, he's probably an upgrade over, you know, who's the next guy in AAA right now. Uh, Thomas Hatch, <laughs> Mitch White, maybe. I don't know, man. Like none of the options are good. Like it's all bad. I think the, 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 the next best option is a bullpen day led by Trevor Richards. So I don't know. I think it would be worthwhile to take a stab on him, but 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Like, I mean, you obviously there might be other teams in the mix here, but I wouldn't have a problem with giving him a bit of a deal, throwing him down in Buffalo, let him take a couple starts there. And then if, hey, in 10, 12 days, Alec Manoa has a couple more bad starts, then at least you have an option there. That's not just a total gamble. Like, Plesak has some upside to him. I'd be interested in it. Uh, we'll see what the Jays do. Uh, but the bigger thing is the four games against Houston. So, Coombsy, you enjoy that series, and we will chat again on Thursday once they wrap it up. Best wishes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 